Welcome, everyone, to Davos Fingers, episode 140. You may have heard of me. My name's Scatty, and with me, as always, is my buddy, Matt. I have heard of you, as a matter of fact. Uh, Telu's greetings to you all. I don't know. Telu's greetings. <laughs> We've embarked on an epic journey as something new for us as we are covering a book series that is not A Song of Ice and Fire and having a great time doing it. So we are covering Patrick Rothfuss's King Killer Chronicle with book one, The Name of the Wind. This is our second episode doing so, uh, and we are covering the chapters, chapter five, Notes, through chapter 11, The bl- the Binding of Iron. That's right. Yeah, King Killer, it's been, it's been really interesting. Of course, Matt, we had, we had covered Grant Piercy's series uh, before I Am Mercury, which was the first time we had really covered anything that wasn't by George, um, you know, outside of some movies here and there. But uh, it's definitely different. It's a different feel. It's a different. It's a different language almost. The way the way Rothfuss writes than the way George writes. Mm-hmm. Summaries feel weird to write. It's just a, a different feel. But I, I'm really enjoying it. I'm really enjoying um, you know the, the difference of the pacing, the almost lack of characters, if you will, uh, the the more centralized focused story. Um, I'm really liking it so far. This uh, I've said before, The Name of the Wind is is maybe my favorite book. And so, of course, I'm I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, Rothfuss has such a unique voice. It's unlike any voice I've ever read before. And it's yeah. it's very refreshing. It feels it, it walks a fine line between heavy and lighthearted, and it does a really good job of it. Um, and I'm enjoying I'm enjoying that consistent just fun to read voice throughout yeah it's kind of that line you're talking about it's kind of like on either side now and then and that jumps way to either side lots and then back to the line for a while just kind of jumping little bits over and back but it doesn't Um, feel jagged at all no like it weaves fairly seamlessly throughout you yeah Yeah. it's a fairly smooth reading experience even though you're right it does jump from one extreme to the other Sometimes within yeah. a page or two, so a little slow. This this section of chapters I feel like is a little slower than the first, and I think it picks up a little bit after this section. So yeah, we'll get uh, there. You're in for a good ride, Kalasar. Uh, so thanks for listening. Uh, apologies to patrons. Uh, we had plans to speak with Grant, the aforementioned Grant, about his novel Galahad. Uh, just, I had some personal struggles in my life that, that kind of held us up from doing that, uh, but we are planning to do that in the future. Going to make that up and release that content. Still pending exactly when we're going to record and everything, but uh, but that will come. It will come. Also coming is more Patreon content. We have got a hangout with our Patreons coming up. We, we have planned for March 18th in the evening, so we'll make sure to send details to all of our patrons. We'd love to have you join us. It's a chance for us to just sit back and chat with you. Uh, a lot of times, you know, we've we've fingered a film together before. We've done that a couple times, and it's been really fun. Uh, and, and sometimes we just hang out and talk, and it's a great way to just connect because you're not just our patrons. I don't know that I consider you a patron uh, yeah. more so than your friends, your family to us at this point. So it's like yep. a little family get together. And it should be noted that's for uh, dirty cab driver and up level uh, patrons. Um, and you know, one thing Matt that we'll be able to talk about during that hangout is I know it's hard to believe, but by that time, we will be in the thick 
of a song of madness. Of the madness. That's right. Pain, misery, woe. The, the madness will have seized us. And we will be in its grasp. Uh, and you listeners, even more so. so Guys, it's going to be nuts. It's going to be good. It's going to be so much fun. We're not going to share. <laughs> I'm so excited. Good. I'm so excited. Uh, anyway, we might talk about that in the patron hangout. So come join us if you will. All right, let's uh, let's dive in here. We're spoiler free for the King Killer Chronicle uh, until the end of the podcast for a special segment we call Devi After Dark. So that means we will not spoil future content in the series. In the main portion of the podcast, we'll save it for that special section. Don't worry, we will warn you when it's coming with a little uh, musical musical number that we do live now. But uh, look out for that. That's right. And if you want to contact us to suggest uh, topics for future episodes, if you want to throw it in our face that we're getting it wrong of who Bast really is, uh, any of those types of fun things, you know how to find us. You can reach us through our email address, which is wearedavosfingers at gmail.com. You can visit us on Facebook or on Twitter, where we are at Davos Fingers, and uh, learn more about our Patreon program. We've got a lot of great content coming up. And you can find out more about that at patreon.com slash Davos Fingers. That's right. Well, let's dive right in. Newts. This Newts. This is a summary for the chapter called Notes. When we last left Coat, he was digging a pit and Chronicler was passed out as he toiled. Well, we pick right up where we left off with Coat carrying Chronicler, Chronicler back to nowhere and the Waystone Inn. And Bast is pitching a fit on the front porch. You should have told me, Dick. I could have helped, is my rough translation. That's the sentiment, anyway. The note left behind, if you are reading this, I am probably dead. Yeah, not not great for someone as talented as Quoth. Not a great note. But Bass stops pestering him when he sees how destroyed Coat really is. Yeah, also really not good. They strip Chronicler down and tuck him in, and Bass settles in to sew up Coat's wounds. Over a dozen long scars that need to be addressed. And it comes out that he killed five Skrail, a number that alarms Bast. Coat should be dead, he thinks. It's not the first time I should be dead, Bast. I'm a fair hand at avoiding it. As Coat fell asleep, Bast pulled up a chair and sat over him like an attentive mother. He sang him a lovely lullaby and just watched as his Reshi slept through the early morning dark. And that is the end of the chapter. What do you think, Bat? Bast is such a puzzling character to me. And I'm sure we'll talk about this fine fellow in Devi After Dark. Yes. But, you know, just, just it's it's been interesting to see all these different qualities of Bast. He comes off as pretty jovial and fun to be around. Um, but also he takes whatever he's doing for his Reshi quite seriously. He's very protective, very cautious, but also, as we see here, kind of motherly. I mean him sitting by his bedside yeah. singing him a song is stuff I, I would do for my toddlers when they were kids. <laughs> yeah, Def definitely. Yeah. And the, the relationship that, and, and coat has interesting feelings for Bast as well. I think he truly values him as, as an individual He is, you know, his student coat, coat is the teacher. Um, but he values his contributions as well. He knows Bast could have helped and mm -hmm. would have, but he didn't want that. It's, you know, almost like an attentive mother himself. He doesn't want Bast in arms away either. Do you think that's why um, he did it, was to protect Bast? Why he didn't take him along? 
I think so. Yeah. yeah. I, I think there's things we at least don't want to talk about in this section, um, but also maybe don't really know a lot about Bass's motivations or their relationship uh, and how it, you know, kind of how it began and what it really entails. Right. Um, you know, we, we can say if you pay attention to the song at the end, mm-hmm. it's beautiful. And the lyrics, the lyrics can give you some hints about, about the nature of who might sing that and to whom um, the way it's written. So I won't spoil it other than to say, if you want to spoil yourself, go look at those lyrics a little closer, uh, right. give you some, some answers. Um, but uh, yeah, Bast is fascinating. Um, also, yeah, a joker, he throws in so much blood, Reshi. I thought you were supposed to be bloodless and all that, right? That's one of Quoth's nicknames is the bloodless. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and either he really doesn't know how that works or much about both in general and is more of like a a worship of his legend or or he's kidding and i don't know which. right it's hard right to tell. it is hard to tell right now <laughs> yeah and but at the same time it talks about how he slung chronicler easily over his shoulder like a burlap mm-hmm. sack yeah there's a grown man we're talking about Yep. He he says a line. This will come up in Devi after dark, but it's right here in the in the text, so I can read the line. It's frightening how primitive you people are. Mm-hmm. He says to Coat. But I loved the lyrics of the song too. Even just, you know, spoiler-free, just looking at it from the sense of Bast watching Coat's flame dwindle over the past couple years, but mm-hmm. knowing that there's an ember that still glows within. And then it says, What does your flickering portend? We're starting yes. to see these flickerings of coat, right? He insists mm-hmm. on putting the sword up on the wall from our last episode. Mm-hmm. He leaves and goes after the scrail when he 100% probably shouldn't have done that if he's hiding something, you know? Um, what's going to be the spark that relights this soul? And we're starting to see it. You know, one yeah. character thing I'm seeing from coat so far is he's very proud. And we're going to see that more in this in this block of chapters. Yes. Um, He's very proud, and, and I wonder if that was why he – part of the reason. I do I do agree that he's protective of Bast, and that's why he didn't take him with him to fight the Skrail. Part of me wonders if it's that pride manifesting, that flickering um, of him of say saying – He knew he could handle it, right? Of him wanting to go, I wanted to see if I could still do it. Yeah, yeah. Do I still have it in me? Yeah. Can I still do this? Yeah, By maybe, myself. Maybe. A little test. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, he's a he's a man and we'll get we'll get more into it in these chapters for sure, but he's a man that's um uh, Matt, one of the things I always compliment you on about Song of Ice and Fire, the series we usually cover if you're joining us somewhat new here, um, is that between Song of Ice and Fire and Game of Thrones, you're always able to kind of just keep them separate, right? <laughs> the books are the books and that's fine, and the show is also good and I like it and it's fine, but they're different and that uh, they don't have to, you know, intermingle. Yeah, and quote quote is very good, and we'll get into how and why he's very good at maintaining different ideas in his head. Yeah, he can be this bartender and also believe himself to be this unstoppable force that can kill five scram. Right. Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you're right. Good we'll point. Get, we'll get more into that. Hmm. Yep. 
Yeah. I don't have a whole lot more notes for this section. Nor I. Um, okay. Uh, the chapter starts with the phrase, the town's houses and shops were dark and silent, but the Waystone Inn was full of light. Mm-hmm. Contrast that with the flickering of the fire that's talked about in the song at the end of the chapter. And just pay attention to that. Later in another chapter, we get similar language about the Waystone that uh, leads me to believe there's something symbolic there. Okay. I will pay attention. Okay, shall we go to chapter six, The Price of Remembering? Let's do it. This chapter's a little longer, so we got some good meat to chew on with this one. I love meat. Um, do I ever? Um, I, I was thinking for a minute about the brisket that I'm going to make this weekend. <laughs> and I seriously wow. just like... That was, a, that was like a really good... Was like Quite a pregnant pause. Like, you were really in it for that. So I was like, what's going on? Does Dude. he think I wrote the summary for this section? <laughs> Started getting scared. That's like a good, like, get up at 3 a.m. to start that thing. And it's, oh, love it. Love it. Um, Scad, Chronicler's head is killing him. As he comes down the stairs to the common room of the Waystone Inn, Coat's waiting for him. And despite Chronicler's still cloudy brain, he's saying, he seems certain of Coat's true identity. It really is you, isn't it? He exclaims promising that he's not there to cause trouble or because of the price on the innkeeper's head. But Coat deflects, focusing more on the identity of the chronicler. Devin Lochis, chronicler reveals, and recognition dawns on Coat. Not a chronicler, the chronicler. His reputation as the great debunker himself precedes him. Working with Scarpy, who's apparently a shared acquaintance between the two, chronicler has followed a rumor to this very place and upon hearing or upon hearing this coat's demeanor suddenly turns dark what was the chronicler thinking coming there if he knew who coat was he had to know how much danger he was potentially putting coat in his carefully curated cover could be carelessly blown, blown by the curious chronicler it's like my alliteration there that's really super good super proud of that the consonants was critical his carefully curated cover could be carelessly blown by the curious chronicler. The traveler admits that it may have been a mistake. And in the exchange that follows, we learn a couple things. I just wanted to bang some of these facts that we learn. Coat is indeed quoth. Just comes right out basically and says it. And while chronicler appears to be there to record his story, to set quoth's story straight, Foth himself claims he's not interested in his story being told. Second thing we find out, Quoth has been in this situation at the inn for less than two years. So a while, but really in the grand scheme of things, not that long. And the third thing we find out, everyone thinks that Quoth is dead, which is good, as people don't look for you when you're dead, Quoth asserts. A chronicler then appeals to Quoth's pride, claiming that some don't believe he existed at all and that he was just a myth. Others say he was a red-handed killer assassin, not a hero. Foth king killer. Some even say he's a new Chandrian. Foth refuses to bite, but his defenses seem to be weakening. And then Chronicler brings up what they are all saying about the woman. What can any of them know about her, Coates says, going from acting disinterested to suddenly defensive and angry? punctuated by a su- the sudden breaking of a glass behind the bar. Coat then settles into a haunted melancholy 
and then a numb anger. What can any of them know about me? Only what they're told, Chronicler rep replies cautiously, his throat dry, and Coat sees what he's doing. You'd hold my story hostage. And he softens. Chronicler claims he has an appointment with the Earl of Baden-Britt in three days. He's already behind schedule in getting there, but he's willing to stay up tonight to get Quoth's story. Quoth blanches, saying a story like his cannot be rushed. He'll need three days minimum. He'll do it properly or not at all. Period. <sighs> it won't be easy to get back in the Earl's good graces, and three days is a long dang time. But then again, Chronicler reasons, you are Quoth. Yes, I suppose I am. And that ends the chapter. Story time. Yeah. This is a story all about how. <laughs> My life got turned it upside down. Oh, we should totally do that. That would be so fun <laughs> to redo Fresh got Prince flipped, of Bel Air. Got flipped turned upside down. Yeah. Nice. Telling the story of Quoth. Mm -hmm. oh, that would be really fun. Take Anyone interested? Sit right there. Let me tell you a story about. Uh, You'll need your cipher. Cipher. Cipher first. Al Alar. Um, yeah. Mm, yeah. I'll have to think about this. Yeah, I need some more. <laughs> what do you think, Skad? Uh, well, um, I, I think, I, I think, one of the things that Chronicle. Chronicler really has going for him here is that Quoth is also a storyteller. Chronicler is a storyteller, or at least a story recorder and reteller. Quoth is a storyteller. And so Chronicler speaks his language. Quoth has done the best he can to lay out his story. He says in there somewhere, uh, the best lies about me are the ones I told about myself. He's been doing these things and creating a narrative, and we'll see it in a few chapters here, uh, where he manipulates reality a little bit to make the story seem larger than it really is. Mm. He's very good at that. And he's done that here. He admits it. The best lies I told myself, the best thing people can believe is that I'm a myth. But Chronicler says, man, you know, you know that doesn't last. Or they get twisted or turned. And all of a right. sudden, the things that actually happened are not the things that people think happened. And instead of having the wind, you know, take your story and scatter it everywhere, let's get me, the most trusted storyteller in the four corners of civilization, to write down your story for realsies and in detail, and then we've got it. It's a captured history. And I think, I think Quoth is, he's too tempted, A, his ego, right? Yep. So to actually have it captured. He says in here once, the truth coming out is the worst thing that could happen to me. I think he believes that until he thinks about the fact that the myths he stole are not—they're not gonna—they're not gonna hold up. Yeah, they're not gonna—they're not gonna stay forever. They're not right? gonna last the centuries, right? And you know, we get some in the the future of this book about how old some of these stories are that they've kind of lost touch with. Yep. He doesn't want his story to end up that way, and so his pride a little bit, but also his desire for the you know, the true story to be communicated, you know, I think, I think wins out for him. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and maybe, sorry, I know I've been going for a little, a little while here. 
he's, you know, the Chandrian thing, all these things you mentioned that are kind of like weakening his resolve, you know, but the thing that turns him is the mention of the woman. The woman. And we haven't met this woman yet. We won't spoil it here. We won't talk about it. I, I don't actually even know who it is for sure, but I imagine I do. Um, and I think he, it, it fe- since that's what turned him, it feels like he's done everything he can to try to keep her part out of it, right? How do they know about her? How can they possibly know about her? Who knows? I kept, I kept her out of the myths and the legends. How is she still popping up in the story? And so the fact that she is, is like, okay, my myths already aren't good enough. The lies I told already aren't good enough. She's still showing up in this story. If she's going to show up, I better make it the right way so that I can give her perspective or reasoning or whatever. Or protect her by making up more stories. Maybe. Maybe he won't tell the truth again, right? Maybe he'll tell the chronicler lie, you know, that seems more firm and might last, right? Mm -hmm. Could be. We don't know. Correct. Yeah. He's a prideful SOB. And that's what I like about him, actually. And he is, yeah. You know, that's that's kind of when a person is as talented as Quoth is. In this episode, we start to get, or this episode, this block of chapters starts to give us some insight into just how naturally gifted, and and not not just naturally gifted, but determined he is. Um, yeah, you gotta have a bit of an ego. Yeah, I feel like you gotta have that confidence that supreme confidence that comes off as almost sometimes like pride to the nth degree. Like you see someone like a lot of people rail on how cocky LeBron James is and Mm -hmm. Michael Jordan was the same way, you know, like there's a certain confidence that you have in yourself. And that's that both definitely has. You're so you're so confident, you're so arrogant that you're almost nonchalant about your confidence. Right. It's just like, of course it's this way. I'm me. I do these things perfectly. Why and you're not even meaning best? to. Yeah. To no, you. So it's, it's just it's a fact. I mean, I, I'm arrogant enough as it is, Matt, and I'm a fat slob. Okay. Like <laughs> if I were good at everything, like, and I, this is a spoiler, I guess, a little bit. If I were good at everything, like Quoth is, I would be so full of myself. I'd be way worse than he is. I mean, he's He's pretty prideful, but he's still holding it together and not, you know, lording it over everybody, at least. That's true. Yep. And it, it it's an insight into the determination of a person, you know? Yeah. I already mentioned LeBron. Like, people were railing on him because he talked about how when he steps onto the court, he he knows he's the best player in the world. Like, oh, how can you say, like, practice a little humility, blah, 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 blah. That's Why? what's, that's part of what, well, that's part <laughs> yeah. of what's gotten him to where he is, is that belief yeah. that when he steps out onto the court, he is the best that there is. Yep. And, you know, we're going to talk a lot about belief and yeah. uh, stuff like that in, in the coming chapters, but yeah, you yeah. almost he, have to have that. Yeah. And yeah, spoilery a little bit maybe, but for, in the, in the sake of the mechanics of how his, you know, powers may work it might be required yeah. that he believe that, right? <laughs> to be successful, right? C- kind of like yep. what you said with LeBron. He's no Tim Duncan, let's all agree. But uh, Nor John Stockton. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, certainly, certainly interesting how, how, how arrogant. 
um, it's also it's also interesting that even that arrogance, chronicler, until the, the 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 thing with the bottles happens where he really gets him angry, and the bottles explode. Until that moment, chronicler's he's still treating him just like a regular guy almost. Like he knows mm-hmm. who he is and he knows the stories, but like he says he says something in there. I don't have the text right in front of me, but he, he says like this is the difference between telling a story and being in one. And it reminded me of the the uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. You best start believing in ghost stories. You're in one. Mm, yeah, nice pull. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I, I feel like the the nature of that confidence and the actual display of power just kind of shakes Chronicle a little bit. Like this is real. This isn't just a story. Like this 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 dude really probably did all these things. And I'm starting to believe in all of them. Oh boy. I, I don't oh boy. I don't I definitely maybe thought I could tell which ones were lies and which ones weren't. I'm not sure anymore. I might believe all of them. He even right. says the one about, you know, going to claim his love from a demon. He's like, fought an angel? Sure. Yeah. Buy that. I think so. This guy. <laughs> that someone can have that presence, you know, to yeah. go, wow. That yeah. makes other people go, wow, that. Okay. Yeah, I can see it. I can see it. I've talked to him for 10 minutes and yep. Yep. It could have happened. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I love the uh, the little implications behind. I went looking for a legend and found a lizard when he's talking about it's, the dragons that he was researching. Yes. yes. Fascinating lizard, but a lizard just the same. Mm-hmm. I feel that that's, that's Chronicler poking a little bit. Did I find just a lizard Did here? I- yeah, yeah, good point. Or am I finding a legend? Right, which is it? Am I going to yeah. be disappointed, or are you going to live up to it? Did that right. happen before the bottles or after? Uh, before. Before, yeah. Yeah, right. But even the fact that, like, Chronicler saw the sword and that reinforced for him who yeah. Coat was, Yeah, I feel like this was, that's part of the flickering uh, that Bast was singing about. I Coat kind of secretly wanted to be found. I think, or at least recognized like that pride makes him want, like, you don't put a sword like that out. Yeah. I I don't remember how deep we went into it last time, but when he's mounting the sword in the last episode, we talked about like, he's even, even when he's hanging it, he's like, well, what's done is done. Not really, dude. You could just not hang it. You just not put it up there. (laughs) But the, the board is very nice. Hang the board. And you know, put a spoon on it or something, right? Like, you don't have you don't have to. No, no one's forcing you. You're right. It's there's a maybe it's the pride, maybe it's something else, maybe it's you know some of this uh, ability to separate the two worlds that we talked about that we'll get into more later breaking a little bit, and he can't maybe keep them as apart as he wants to or doesn't want to keep them apart. Right. Uh, keep you know he's getting tired of holding them separate after two years. But you're right. Something about him. Yeah, the ring wants to be found. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, not just by anybody. He's not putting a big neon sign that says "Quoth is here," right? But yeah, you know. yeah. What is it? What's the what's the comparison? It's it's like when you, yeah, you don't really want to get caught, but you want to like tease the information out there a little bit and see if anyone is is paying attention enough to catch you. Yeah. It's like it's like exciting. It's like a little Maybe bit when of like thieves leave like a calling card or crooks. Yeah, you know, they right. Have like yes. A great. They yes. Do, right. Yeah. We're the wet bandits. 
wet bandits. <laughs> but yeah, something that they're recognized, but not enough to catch them or implicate them. But yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Something like that. But, but he feels like he's even going maybe over that line. Like he puts the name of the sword up there. Like that's mm-hmm. going to, anyway, it, it's also not been that long. Right. Yeah. So that's one of the things that really struck me in this chapter. It's not even been two years. Mm-hmm. Both keep saying it's, you know, it's a long time ago. I'm a different man now. Not even two years, man. Like nothing. That's a yeah. very, I mean, we're it's used to probably... reading Song of Ice and Fire where, you know, yes, the, the, the events 5, of that, years. <laughs> yeah, the events of those books take place in like five or six years or something. But, but the overall history is expansive, right, of, of things we know about the world. All this stuff that he did happened in two years, in one right. to two years. Well, not all the stuff, but some of the stuff at least. Very recent. Yep. yep. And it does have to be exhausting holding up a facade for that long. And maybe there's even a physical side to that. But yeah, yeah in the grand be. scheme of themes, things, there's two years. Yeah, there's def- he's hiding stuff for sure. That box he's got in his room is not just a metaphor. There's, mm-hmm. I think it is that too. But there's something going on that he's hiding for sure. Yeah. For I mean, even just this text for a moment, he saw the pain underneath, raw and bloody, like a wound mm. too deep for healing, then yeah. anger. Like he's, this is not a man that's at peace with the things that he's done, nor willing really to leave them behind yet. Good point. He hasn't, in, in a future chapter, he'll talk about what it means to leave pain behind and how the mind deals with it. It's one of my favorite sections of the of the whole series. But, um, you know, I don't think he's really dealt with all of this in his head. Not, not fully. Agreed. Yep. Okay. I feel like we bounced around a lot. But, you know, that chapter also, it really is kind of about just the one the one idea. Yep. You're this guy. We need to tell this Let story. Let me tell your story. How are you going to do it? And I get maybe we can leave, we can, we can end with, with that part. What did you think of the, I mean, it's really a threat. What did you think? The threat of saying. Well, he basically says, what makes you think you can come back and you, still yeah. find me here? Right. Actually, then I'll let that. you leave. What makes you think I'm letting you leave? Like, mm-hmm. he, he, I, to me, he's threatening to kill him if he tries to leave. He's like, no, you know too much. You could set anybody out on me. If you try to leave without doing this, I'm killing you. Right. Like, that's the way I read it. Yeah, I think he is a little concerned. I also read it a little bit of just coat testing chronicler mm-hmm. to see how much he really wanted it, what he was really willing to do. Yeah. Um, Will you make the Duke late or not? Right. Yeah. Are you willing to, How are you badly willing to give that do up? you want this story? Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Again, appealing a little bit to that prideful side of him. But yeah. I want to feel more important than the Earl of Baden Brit. <laughs> and he is more important than the Earl of Baden Brit, probably. Probably. But, uh, but yeah, in the end, he doesn't really give him a choice, or at least he threatens that he's not going to give him a choice. I don't know whether he actually have yeah. killed him if he'd have left. But right. He's like, no, you're sitting there for three days and we're doing this now. Mm-hmm. You convinced me. Good job convincing me. Here's your prize. 
Right. You must sit there for three days. <laughs> yep. You want to go to Anything chapter else? seven? Yeah, let's do a chapter seven of beginnings and the name of things. It's a new day in the end. And while Chronicler is interested in all the details he can spot in the bar about Quoth himself, both wonders aloud, how do people normally go about relating their stories? Suffice to say that Quoth is unhappy with any of the methods Chronicler suggests, and instead suggests simply taking down word for word what Quoth says, dutifully and quickly. Chronicler agrees, and he even has a cipher of sounds translated into pen strokes that he uses to record stories that allows him to notate what a person says as fast as they can say it. Quoth demands to see it. He's very curious. But Chronicler's wary, wary that is, until Quoth takes about 20 minutes total to completely understand and break down the cipher. Chronicle believes this is a man that can tell the story he intends, that he can simply focus on recording. And he suddenly even believes some of the stories he had heard of Quoth, that he had learned Tema, a language, in a single day. Of course not, a portion of it. But I don't believe he can ever learn any, all of anything, let alone a language. They begin. With one more reminder from Quoth that his story may wander, but the Adima Rue have been telling stories for as long as stories have existed, and to change not a word, even if he doesn't take the straightest way. And yet, when he begins Matt, the story is a mess. Does the story begin with a girl? No, maybe at the university, during the collection of his skills. Oh, before that, maybe with the Chandrian, or even before that, with the beginning of the world that they know, perhaps. For all his bluster, Quoth is really struggling to actually tell this story. It's kind of hilarious. <laughs> uh, in the end, though, he takes a hint from the Chronicler that starting at the beginning of time is probably overkill, and he finds a quality starting place with his name. Quoth. Sounds like Quoth. His father told him it means to know. He has flame, red hair, and he's been known by many names. I'll read some of them here. My first mentor called me Elier because I was clever and I knew it. My first real lover called me Dulator because she liked the sound of it. I've been called Shatakar, Lightfinger, and Sixstring. I've been called Quoth the Bloodless, Quoth the Arcane, and Quoth Kingkiller. I've earned those names, bought and paid for them. And then he talks about some of the things that he has done. I've stolen princesses back from sleeping Barrow Kings. I burned down the town of Trebon. I've spent the night with Felurian and left with both my sanity and my life. I was expelled from the university at a younger age than most people are allowed in. I tread paths by moonlight that others fear to speak of during the day. I have talked to gods, loved women, and written songs that make the minstrels weep. You may have heard of me. And that is the end of that chapter. And it's not in my notes here, but since you said it before, um, you know, I won't go into details about all those things he's done, but we don't see all of them in the first two books. I don't know that that's really too much of a detailed spoiler, but he might be lying still. Mm -hmm. Like you said, Matt, maybe he's still lying in this in this true telling of his of his story that he wants to control. Ooh, I get to tell it the way I want to. <laughs> I also fought Barrow Kings and what's that town Trebon? I was there once and all these other things that I mm -hmm. didn't do that I will now lie about. That I now have so, done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, if it's really going to be the true account, there you're, I didn't really think about it until you brought it up this episode, but there, there's some real power there. Right. It's a good point. Yeah. At the same time, it's almost like, it seems like the type of pride that he has is one where he's not going to let a story overtake him. Do you know what I mean? 
Like, yeah, no, yeah, I tend to agree. I think there is room to protect this woman somehow by lying within the story. But mm-hmm. you're right. I don't think you're going to make stuff up just to make stuff up. You might make up a few threads to misdirect from things that he doesn't want known. Right. Like, for instance, he might make up a thread to protect Bast or something, right? We don't yeah. Mm-hmm. Possible. Yeah. Well, I mentioned before about the symbolism of the Waystone Inn. Um, mm. You know, back in chapter, go back in chapter one, it was night at the Waystone Inn. It was pretty dark. There wasn't mm-hmm. very many people there. In chapter five, talks about how the town's houses and shops were dark and silent, but the Waystone Inn was full of light. Mm-hmm. And then here in this chapter, sunlight poured into the Waystone. And you just see this progression as Quoth starts to come back out, that okay, ember out sparks shell. more and more, this sunlight idea. I thought that was kind of interesting to track that pattern. I did go and check the other chapters to see if it all started with gradual lightning of the Waystone Inn. There's really not much else in the other chapters. but um, Interesting. Okay. I like it. Yeah. Right. I like it. So do you think, let's put you on the spot a little bit. Do you think that he's going to continue using that that metaphor as Quoth tells the story for dark periods and light periods or places where he's ashamed of himself in the story, places where he's not? I'd love to pay attention to that. Yeah, I'd love to pay attention to that because you can't get too much brighter than sunlight pouring into the waystone. (laughs) Like. Maybe he's gazing into a roaring flame or something in one of the chapters. I don't, yeah. I don't know, but you know, sitting in front of the fireplace at night and gazing into the flames or Melissa. But as most stories, and... good things happen and bad things happen. So there could be yeah. a dark one, then a light one, yeah, a brighter one, then a dark and even darker one. The light of the moon like shone through the windows sure. of the Waystone Inn or something. Depending on yeah, what types of things he's telling. It would be interesting, be interesting. to keep an eye yeah. on that. We'll pay yeah. attention to that. See what happens. But... Pat, I know you're listening out there. Did you do that? He's like, you think I'm going to be that predictable? <laughs> Come on. Come on. Uh, I, I really appreciate this chapter because uh, I feel like it's it's really just three things. Both is brilliant. Like, like you said, this chapter, I think, is the first one that really, we know he's capable and we know he's arrogant. But, and we know, you know, we know he killed Scrail. But he did something in this chapter that is basically impossible. I mean, he he looked at a few chicken scratches on a thing and then wrote the entire language. Yeah, all your vowels are look like yeah. this, and so that must mean that this is this. And yeah, what what you have here is not just like an incredible warrior or someone who has a knack. Uh, we'll get into knacks later, but has a knack for <laughs> you know naming or you know something like that. His brain is special in a way that, like, nobody's brain is special. So the chapter brings that out. Then, you know, it kind of tells us how he's, you know, that he thinks he knows how to tell the story and that he doesn't. And he's going to have to work his way into it. And then we get, you know, we, we get the hook, right? Here's the things I've done. Here are my names. Get excited. Here it comes. It's kind of a little a little prep chapter. Right, get excited yeah. for this guy because this is what's coming. Mm-hmm. This is the type of guy you're about to meet. This is how he's going to tell the story for the next hundreds of pages. And this is who he is. Go. Don't let us down, buddy. Don't let yep. us down. 
don't pull a rise of Skywalker on us. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I'm, I I don't, I don't always love the, you know, um, the matrix for me got boring as soon as like, as soon as Keanu Reeves realized he could really do anything in the matrix world. It's like, okay, well, if you can really just block like effortlessly and kill these guys so easily, like, is this really that fun? Yeah. So having Quoth be good at everything, which he seems to be, is a little, usually that would be kind of like an off thing for me. Those are not usually characters I'm rooting for, right? But somehow Pat does this and I'm, I'm in, I'm interested, right? He does enough of the little, of the little things of him not being able to properly, properly articulate the start of the story, yeah. you know, that make him bumbling a lends bit. a humanity to him or yeah. yeah these prideful yeah. moments and things of so, that nature help us, I think still kind of relate to him. Yeah. He certainly has flaws. You're right. He's not perfect. He has flaws for sure. Mm-hmm. He's just so capable at most things, but you're yeah. right, the, the ego, the overconfidence sometimes. Um, yeah, you're right. He's got flaws. Maybe that's why it works. Maybe, maybe. And as we'll see in these coming chapters, we do see the work that he's had to put into True. arriving at this point. There probably is a lot of natural gift, but he yeah. certainly supplements that natural gift with hard work and effort. Yeah. Yeah. What's the quote? It's a, no, I'll butcher the quote, but it, you know, the idea is, you know, I have all these gifts. They don't mean anything without the drive and desire and hunger that I had to use them. Yeah. Right. If I didn't have those, those gifts would be wasted. Correct. Right? And so I think, I think there's something to that for sure. Here. Yeah. yeah. I'm seeing it a lot with uh, my, my youngest Chewy's hockey team. It seems like this is the age he's nine, he's 10 years old now. This is the age where, you know, where kids are naturally talented at sports. I was not one of those kids. Yeah. And they just tear it up when they're six, seven, eight years old. Mm-hmm. But it feels like nine or 10 is when that's not enough. The natural mm-hmm. talent isn't enough and you have to start working. And you see those kids that aren't willing to work. They're starting to fall back in the pack and others yeah. who are willing to work rise to the front. And yeah. there comes a point where that natural talent can only take you so far. My kids have been doing basketball quite a bit and I've been trying to instill that kind of idea in them. It's like, you can just keep playing the games of going to practice once a week and you can do right. that and you can have fun playing basketball. Fun. And if that's what, right. if you, if that's what you want to do, great. I'm for that. If you want to be good and you want to be counted on by your team, um, you know, Mar- Mary once said like, my team doesn't need me. And I'm like, that's, you know, that's hard to hear, buddy. And I'm, I bet you don't like the way that feels. If you want to be needed, you've got to put in the work. Mary is a brilliant kid, so many good qualities, but like he's not really a hard worker. Like he's not going to (laughs) go put in the time to just be like really good at stuff. He likes this thing, then he likes that thing, then it's Pokemon. Like he changes interests a lot. He doesn't stay with stuff for a really long time sometimes. And so, you know, trying to instill in him, like, look, if you want to be good at this, a, you're never going to be that good. Like you got a dad who's five seven. You're not playing in the NBA. He's like, how could I play in the NBA? You better be the best three point shooter of all time. Right. Yeah. It's the only way it's going to happen. Right. <laughs> but like, you know, he he just like, do you want to put in the work or not? Same thing. 
If you want to elevate and get better, that's what you have to do. And to keep working after that. Yeah. Yeah. Chewy. And I totally get this. He's dying 10 years old. He's not, you know, the second coming of Jesus Christ or anything like that. He's, you know, he'll get goodness for that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We'd all be in a lot of trouble. Um, He'll do like, he'll, he'll shoot for certain achievements and then he'll allow Mm -hmm. himself to plateau. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. I want to be able to shoot at top shelf is what they call it in hockey. Top shelf is scoring, mm-hmm. you know, shooting up high in the corners of the nets. It's a tricky thing to do. And I want to, I want to be able to roof it top shelf is all hockey oh, vernacular. Upper V we call that in, in soccer. Pop cheese. Top, cheese, top shelf where mom keeps a cookie jar, you know, okay. all these different little phrases. And so he'll work really hard to be able to shoot top shelf, shot, shot. And then he gets it and he's like, okay, I got it. Like, achievement check mark you know yeah he needs he needs another i've achieved that and so now i don't need to work on it anymore because i've done it and you know what we see with growth is someone who's going to keep pushing and keep pushing and keep pushing yeah there's no there's no stopping right what's the what's the next lesson so that i can i can shoot at top shelf while i've got three defenders hanging off of me yeah, and the right. goalie's the best goalie in the world, and he's right in front of me, right? Like, and I'm writing, and I'm writing poetry at the same time. Right? Yeah, that's how his is. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, it's so confusing. Anyways, yeah. little sidebar uh, about the kids. A little sidebar. We do that on this podcast. Yep. Sometimes too much. Sometimes not enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't back away from any of these names. He owns them. Uh, some of them are somewhat, somewhat rough. There's a tear, uh, bit of Tyrion Lannister in him there. Mm. Wear it, own it. Own that it. way no you one are... pe- can use it against you. That's right. That's right. Um, I don't have much else. Do you have anything else for this chapter? I don't know. I like what you, right. you described it as, is it's kind of the, it's the announcer getting on the PA system. Saying this is going to be the main event. Here we go. Yeah. Get ready. Everyone Get take ready your seats. Rumble. Turn off your Here cell phones. Yep. And it and it starts off in chapter eight, Thieves, Heretics, and Whores, Matt. Thieves, Heretics, and Whores. Both story, finally. Once he decides which way he's going to go. Uh, begins with the Edema Rue. An entire culture group of performers to which his parents belonged. His father was a brilliant musician and actor. His mother, a former noble with a natural gift for words, both spoken and written. Rue to the bone, both of them. Quoth was their only child that we know of and grew up in an endless fair amongst the wagons, actors, acrobats, musicians, jugglers, and jesters of their traveling troupe, which was named Lord Greyfallow's men after their sponsor. You guessed it, Lord Greyfallow. Overall, it seemed to be a happy life. Kvothe was a curious boy, as you can imagine, eager to learn anything anyone would teach him, whether those teachers were of the Edema Rue or the varied and ever-changing group of travelers who had attached themselves to the Rue for safety's sake as they traveled. Uh, He learned law, he learned woodcraft, uh, other more sordid workings, but the one who taught him more than all the others set end-to-end was Abenthi. Is that how you pronounce it? Abenthi? Yeah, sometimes and then I'll just call ways. him Ben. And then we'll just call him Ben. <laughs> Abenthi. And here, Abenthi. Abenthi works well with Ben. So I think I'll go with Abenthi. I read it different ways every time I read it, I feel like. Yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one. 
Yeah. And here we get to an obvious jump in time uh, in the chapter. We go back in time to a young Quoth and his family along. So we get a little. That's right. The Wayne's yeah. World action. Yeah. We, and so here we are with young Quoth and his family, along with the rest of Lord Greyfellow's men, arriving in a town ready to perform and with a license in hand to do so. This passage ends up being mostly an homage to Quoth's father, who <laughs> brilliantly takes a stubborn mare who's insistent on not letting the troop perform because of the moral desolation other performing scallywags had left in their wake after passing through his town. And he manages to turn that frown upside down. With patience, charm, and the signature of the mayor's boss's boss, Lord Greyfellow himself, Quoth's father soon has his troop performing in the public house, a.k.a. the main stage, that very evening. Later, as the public house was filling with patrons for the evening show, Quoth's curiosity draws him to a wagon driven by an old man, an old man who is arguing with the mayor and the constable about setting shop in the town. He's not just a peddler nor a tinker, although he can do both ably. No, he's an arcanist. This causes the mayor to dig in even more, claiming his town is God-fearing and he won't be allowing any dark magic. The arcanist pulls a trick. Red sympathy lamps begin to glow in the wagon behind him. But when those don't deter the constable, who has now laid hands on him, the old man, with a face of anger, begins to mutter. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a furious gust of wind bursts through the area, striking the men as if by the hand of God himself. Be gone, the old man cries. Trouble me no longer. I will set fire to your blood and fill you with a fear like ice and iron. The mayor and the constable oblige, fleeing. Both, still spying, witnesses the arcanist talking to his donkeys, to whom he reveals that they are down to their last few coins. The situation is quite dire. The folk that need me don't trust me, and the ones that trust me can't afford me, he laments. Quoth moves in closer to study what was written on the wagon. Abenthi, arcanist extraordinary, scribe, dowser, chemist, dentist, rare goods, all ailments, A-L-E, ailments, tended, lost items found, anything mended, no horoscopes, no love portion, potions, no malfaction. In moving closer, however, Quoth captures the attention of the arcanist, and the two begin acquainting. Upon hearing that, or upon learning that Quoth is part of Lord Greyfellow's men, the arcanist applies for a job. Maybe not acting, but... Oh, he can make non-poisonous face paint, and he can set up various lights of all sorts of different colors. Pretty cool proposition. Quoth, being a child, uh, shakes on it with him, <laughs> welcoming welcomes him to the troop. Yeah, come on in. But let it be known, Quoth's reasons for hiring Abenthi were not just for the good of the troop. The arcanist had performed magic, real magic, magic Quoth wanted to learn. He wanted his questions answered. He wanted to learn the name of the wind. That's, That's the end right. of this chapter. Real magic, magic that he had stopped believing in when he was six years old. And now with that gust of wind believes again. Uh, such a, an interesting start. I think it's an interesting start. You get a lot in this chapter. You get um, first, I guess, honestly just the the sense of family that you get from the beginning 
Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. I didn't touch on it enough in my summary. Well, but... it's, it's a tough thing to summarize, but I, you know, we can talk about it a little bit. Go mm-hmm. ahead. What do you think? I think it's lovely. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I'm not a, I'm not a like, you know, work is terrible in general kind of guy, I guess, but this lifestyle sounds pretty great. You got like 20 People friends you travel love around what with. they do. Yeah. They love each other. They love what they do. You've got your role. No nine to five. You're Someone, passionate about you know, it. You're all cooking together, eating together. You have your role, but it's a communal family. It sounds pretty divine, man. Like it sounds like communism. <laughs> at, least, at least the way communism is supposed to work. <laughs> communism is supposed that, to work. That, yep. that can never work because you have to have people to run communism. Maybe socialism is a closer, closer thing, but like where you just share everything, right? Like you, you all have your roles and you just get along together in this, in this community. Yeah. Heck, Joseph Smith tried it with Mormonism. It's called the law of consecration. Didn't last because there's a people aspect to it. Because people have to do these things and people are selfish. Right. Anyway, we will, we'll, let's, let's not go down the communism or (laughs) Mormon failed experiments uh, with us too far, but, uh, Rue down to their bones really says it. I love that phrase. Yeah. And in a matter of a page or a page and a half, I think we get a pretty good understanding from Rothfuss exactly what that means. And it's it's helpful. It's it's um, beautiful. Yeah. Even sometimes I'm jealous of parents who can be so open with their kids about mm. letting them experience what it is they're going to experience and almost like trusting their kids yeah. to be able to appreciate it and to be able to handle it. I'm unfortunately I work at it, but I'm kind of not one of those guys. I'm one of those guys. that's like, Oh, you're, you're not old enough to watch that movie yet, or mm-hmm. you're not old enough for this and all in the name of protection. But yeah. I, at the same, and, and I'm probably right in some of that. I like to think I am anyways, but I also uh-huh. really admire those people that are like, you know we'll what? Do you it. can, you can listen to notorious B I G and let's talk about it together after yeah. you do, you know, like, yeah, let's talk about what he's saying when he's saying. I feel like Blood Rider Chase, I think, is very much that way. Very, mm-hmm. he and his his wife very open with their kids just about everything. Um, and yeah, it sounds I I both admire and am terrified. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. There's a there's a show on little divergence here. There's a show on. Uh, it's actually just just wrapped up called The Parent Test. Mm. Uh, it's on Hulu where they they get parents of kids of varying ages and they compare parenting styles strict style like a child-led style all these different kind of parenting styles and uh oh you might like it it's it's pretty interesting to see interesting. Like, how the different methods result in the in the kids behaviors and of course you have the kids individual personalities that kind of overrule some of that too but uh it's it's really interesting show we watched it with our kids so they could see kind of how different people you know, raise yeah, like, you guys are the worst. I was like, are we the worst? Because look at some of these people. Yeah. Like, oh, and would, what they do. And what I could definitely use some do. of that. I would be terrible on a show like Parents that. And I'll tell you why, Scad. I don't have a method. <laughs> no, yeah. We spent most of the show being like, are we that? Are we this? I, We're probably just the best of all of them. Probably. My method is is winging it. Yeah. Basically all the time. There, there are styles that are kind of like that. Anyway, we don't need to do it too far, but you might want to check it out. It's kind of that is interesting. Show we enjoy the parent test. Okay, it's on Hulu. Yeah. Um. 
Okay, moving on. Uh, oh, before we get away from like the the uh, the nature, uh, I just there's just this little moment uh, when when Quoth is talking to his dad, and uh, he talks about don't just you know don't worry about all that. We'll leave them behind and we'll be in place with better people and and uh, more beautiful women or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and his wife, you know, like. I imagine her singing it from from within the wagon. I can hear everything you say. Right. You know, kind of a thing. Like just such a sweet moment. Like he only said it because he knew she was listening. And yeah, it says he kind of like pointed to the mm-hmm. wagon exactly. as he said it. Like, listen, listen, here it comes. <laughs> uh, you can just, you get this, it's little moments like that that Rothfuss delivers that I think really help you get a peek behind the curtain of what, what his life is really like. Right. He leaves that out. You're just missing that little, that little piece that, gives you a sense of true happy family and understanding and devotion. You're right. Little moments like that, that tell such a big story that fills so much in for us. Yeah. Yeah. I love Quo's dad. He's great. His ability to get what he wants without ever truly being confrontational was just brilliant. He's a master. Yeah. And the troop too, they read him, right? mm -hmm. Like he's like, all right, pack up. And they just immediately pocket their stuff and put things away and go go out their business. You're right, though. What a performance from Arlen! Like, oh, Semelin's Fife. Is that where we are? Like, totally pretending he doesn't know. Like, just <laughs> hamming it up. Never, never lets the uh, the insults get to him, or at least visually yep. get to him. Never yeah, gets in very, the guy's face. And... Yeah, smooth operator for sure. Mm-hmm. I loved it. I loved it. Yeah, tomorrow will be on our way, but he'll have to keep his own disagreeable company until the day he dies. That's what he says about the mayor. I wish I could brush stuff off like that. I wish I could alas, be less like <laughs> alas. I wish I could be less like the mayor. Uh, you're drinking Coke now. What happened to? And you know what's really bad, Scat? Is it's eleven twenty at night? And this was a half-finished can of Coke that I just had here from the day that I just mm-hmm. had a Coke. Like it, it's all it's all warm now. Two in the afternoon, and it's just <laughs> sitting here. And I picked it up and drank it. That's. I've also got water right here. I was just surprised it wasn't Mountain Dew, but I I know you've had your bouts with that. Yeah, I, I I'm kind of a man of, you know. I'll I'll try it all. Try it all. Actually, I won't. You know this. <laughs> no, I, I bounce. I bounce good. fairly uh, uh, equally between Mountain Dew, Pepsi, and and Coke now. Oh, interesting. Yeah, nothing uh, diet though. Nothing diet. Yeah. I drink mostly diet. That's but I've I've drink more than you. Uh, Baron Gray Fallow. I kind of hope this comes back. I kind of hope. I kind of hope we get to meet this guy someday. He sounds Baron really fun. Fallow. Yeah, like I'm just gonna have this troop of guys goes around. I'm gonna pay for the, you know, give them a writ, and they can come entertain me. And yeah. I like the arts. The only thing is, you got to come to my house for like two weeks every year. Yeah, yeah. Sounds like sounds like a good deal. Oh, that sounds awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, what the heck kind of performance was it by these? Uh, past performing troops that had people tearing doors off the public house and smashing up tables. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I can't remember whether it was in this chapter or a previous one or even one that's following, but, you know, you you learn in this series, I don't think it's really a spoiler, but you learn in these this series that there are less reputable troops going around performing and they don't have anywhere near the same set of rules or discipline or communal family or any of that, um, you know, and they don't care. If the, Sounds to me like it's like... <laughs> Like, like it's wrestling, like oh. WWF knockoff, like they set up a ring and, and wrestle each other and stuff. Like you're smashing up tables after some troop comes in and sings some songs, like this Rage Against the Machine or something. Yeah, maybe it's more of like the the troop sensed, um, you know, like a song of madness. Sometimes we can <laughs> smell blood in the water and it's like, oh, this is going to be a juicy matchup, right? And we kind of play up, play it up, right? And we know that, well, damage can happen. And I regret some of the damage that's happened in that tournament sometimes, even though sure. you know, I don't think it's really all our fault. But nope. you know, we certainly we play a part. But uh, maybe they see those kinds of warnings and they play into them because they think they'll drink more and they'll spend more or they'll be less loose with their wallet and I can steal it or you know, yeah, things that's like true. that. So yeah. they, they play into those things, hoping somebody gets knocked out so they can rob them or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, true. these are troops looking for their their next payday, not looking yeah. to perform the arts. <clears throat> the motivations are different. Yeah, I also like the shades of, like, how do I describe this? Old school shades of criticism against like old school conservatism that Rothfuss weaves. Throughout these tales, not right? super delicately, not incredibly delicately, <laughs> not my subtle par- at all. My parents were never really married, by which I mean they never bothered making their relationship official with any church. I respect that, you know. Uh, they considered themselves married and didn't see much point in announcing it to any government or God. Uh, then you've got this mayor who is, I mm-hmm. mean, I'm sorry friends from the south but i went into reading him in a southern accent because i just picture this little conservative red town in louisiana or something Uh um even i think it's in the next chapter actually where abenthi talks about the arcanist being killed for practicing magic stuff like that so yeah this this world is is very much one where most of the people are not educated and just like in our world, you know, when you're not educated, you respond to things that scare you in ways that are maybe not productive. Often right? violent, maybe. <laughs> yeah, and, and and harmful. And uh, mm-hmm. that's certainly the case, you know, in this town. But th- they also do have, you know, imagine nobody came to play your town for two years. And then a month ago, somebody came and they were awful. And the town just erupted in violence. A month later, somebody else comes to play your town. You're like, you know, maybe not. Yeah. Like, like it's not, it's it's not that crazy for me to believe. To, and it's, yeah, to understand what the mayor's trying to do here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He doesn't know the difference, right? right. And yep. but 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 Quoth very much looks down on these people, right, for being uneducated and oh yeah, never leaving never leaving the town they're born in, and yeah, uh, you know, it's funny because a lot of this chapter he's. He he's angry, he's fuming that he's being looked down on, but the whole time he's also looking down on them. Right. Let's and let's I imagine, do, is, I imagine the Rue do also. 
his dad asks him what play they should do that night. And he suggests Mm -hmm. like just a really simple, you know, pandering type of play. Yeah. Probably just hits all those normal tropey beats just to give them something. Yeah. And the religion thing, you know, in this, um, you know, Matt, I know you're, you're religious and take your faith very seriously. And um, so I, you know, seeing it downplayed by Quoth as it is and will be, you know, in the series probably quite a bit, you know, it feels like this is a different, you know, I don't know. I may, maybe it is social commentary from Rothfuss about religion in general in our yeah. world, but mm-hmm. this religion feels very unhelpful to the people. Sure. As you learn more. Yeah. And, you know, maybe we'll leave it at that, but yeah. Well, my religion is very personal to me, and I certainly recognize the harm that people do in the name of religion. Sure. And and how helpful it really can be to many except many how unhelpful it can be to many except maybe the ones that learn how to exploit it best. Right? And yeah. Yeah, I I, I think I see yeah. starting to see a little bit of that in this mm-hmm. yeah yeah and in uh, our world too all the time it's all over the place yeah. unfortunately yeah right and i think these people are probably exploited by it but also its biggest fans right usually the ones that are exploited are but also i, I it doesn't let's go check now I'm, i don't remember it, it feels like this is more of like a one religion world like there may have been different ones over time, but it feels like there's kind of just the one. Yeah, one's managed to stamp all the others out. Feels like it, but also I, scary. I really don't don't quote me on it. Yeah, we'll see. I don't know. I you know like it'd be great if we really knew that the one one was the one, right? It'd be how much more peaceful would a lot of things be if we yeah. knew for sure, right? Which was which, but yeah, how you get to that stamped out face is places maybe not is a little scary yeah that's scary yeah so they do end up getting to perform in the public house the mayor backtracks like you said and says come on in and come on in and perform and uh they charge for it and it's just this whole professional little thing just like you'd expect very organized yeah but but really that's that's just a backdrop to the main part of this where ben shows up Interesting that he calls his donkeys Alpha and Beta, which are Greek terms. Does that exist in this world, I guess? It does. It does, yeah. And we get Falling the Wind, True Magic. And this is, I think maybe this is where he started, um, you know, why he started the story here, right? Because this was when his his brain started to started to wake up and we'll hear more about that in the next chapter too. But right, yeah. Without without Ben an awakening, yeah. Without Ben, his story would have gone nowhere. Right? Yeah. And not to Noir. Right. Noir. Yeah. That's the joke he makes in the previous chapter, right? What does he say? Yes. Maybe two chapters ago. You are in fact in the middle of Noir. Yep. Thriving metropolis, home to dozens. Yes, home to dozens. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Uh, okay. 
Uh, you got anything else for this chapter? Um, I jived really well with the idea of I learned to love the feel of good words. Mm. I don't know quite what that means, but I know how it feels, you know, like mm. when you're just reading good words, maybe that's one reason we like reading this book so much. It's one of the reasons I like reading it. Yeah, I couldn't do it. I can't write this way. I can't write good words, but when I read them, I know. You know what they are. I know what they I know what they sound like coming out of my mouth and, and as they rattle around in my brain. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. That way with music, probably a lot of art. Yeah. Uh, it's difficult to describe, but you know it when you feel it. Very much. They say that about porn as well. Uh yeah. Mm -hmm. I've heard that said about porn. I've I've heard the same thing. Yeah. Shall we move on to chapter nine? I think that's a great time to move it's on. Great. This is a good, this is a good, <laughs> good sequitur. <laughs> the Omar Canis rode with the troop from then on. He had a love of chemistry. He was kind, intelligent, knowledgeable, and thoughtful. He had no eyebrows from repeatedly burning them off in his experiments. He was a good man. And it wasn't long before Quoth was riding in his wagon with him. And not long after that, when Quoth asked him about being an arcanist. More, more specifically, what an arcanist was. At its simplest, an arcanist was one who worked his way, or his or her way, through the arcanum at the university. However, lots of people put on robes and pretended to be arcanists with a mishmash of skills that were no doubt, no doubt valuable, but didn't make them arcanists. They did this to fool the gullible and charge more for their services. However, a true arcanist has a gilder, and with that he takes a small flat piece of lead on a chain from his neck and hand it, hands it to Quoth whose hand immediately starts to tighten up and go numb. He was numb almost to the shoulder before Aventhe took it back. For its owner, it just feels warm. Ben also explains knacks, abilities that some people seem to have to do something extraordinary, like being able to find water or a member of the troop, or as in the case of a member of the troop, being able to roll sevens with dice, or being uncommonly good with plants in a guy that Ben knew in his past. People are superstitious about these talents, though, and it often leads to trouble among uneducated folk. Quoth asked if Aventhe uh, would teach him some of the things from the university, and just like that, Quoth was his student. And boy, was he a precocious one. Within a month, he had learned every chemical in Ben's cart. He could set a bone and diagnose hundreds of sicknesses and make medicines to help with many maladies, poisons and acids and all sorts of other concoctions as well. Ben also trained Quoth's brain with memory tests and games like playing a board game without a board and having to memorize all the locations of all the pieces. And through these exercises and the sheer volume of information, both could feel his mind start to awaken. And that's the end of that chapter. Whoa. Whoa, indeed. Whoa. I like, I like how he describes it. My mind was learning to work in different ways, becoming stronger. Felt the same way your body feels after a day of splitting wood or swimming or sex. A whole day of that? Mm-hmm. Well, that a guy. That a boy. It's, uh, it's aggressive. Yeah. Well it's done. one of those myths he spread about himself, I think. Uh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Shooting dust. Uh, you feel exhausted, languorous, and almost godlike. This feeling was similar, except it was my intellect that was weary and expanded, languid, and latently powerful. I could feel my yeah. mind starting to awaken, right? Yeah. And that's a great feeling. That feeling after you've worked out and you feel yeah. exhausted, but at the same time, you walk by the mirror and you're like, mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I've only ever really felt that doing theater, where I've, I've just felt like the performance was just like extended beyond me. Mm-hmm. And I felt just like a different, more powerful human when I was done. Right. I don't know that I ever felt it with like sports or working out. I wonder. I don't know. Interesting. But but <laughs> feeling it in your brain is is certainly interesting too. Like I'm trying to think what like what a similar experience right. would be for us. What would that be? Like you had a really good day at work and solved some problems. What would yeah. that even look like? I don't remember, you know, when I went to college, I don't remember having days where I felt like I learned so much in a given class that my brain was just like expanding. Right. One time I'm an old man scared. So I do crossword puzzles on my phone. Nice. And I finished one on the very hard setting in wow. under eight minutes. And I felt, how many, how many I words felt pretty are cool. These? They're, they're big crossword puzzles. I like, they're not, they're not anything to uh, bat an eye at. Yeah. Wow. But I In felt eight minutes. That's impressive. I felt pretty good. Here, I'll show you one. They're like, they're like decent sized crossword puzzles. Oh yeah. Those are big. Yeah. Eight minutes. Eight minutes. Just that's flew amazing. through that sucker. Just... Were they all hockey questions? Not a single one. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh... but. Something along those lines. <clears throat> but yeah, this idea that we're going to get into a strengthening of the mind, which is obviously very different from the classic hero's journey, or not, yeah. not maybe, but yeah, your hero that you imagine and that we've led to believe up until this point is the type of guy that can fight off five scrail by himself, you yeah. know? And yep. now we're starting to dig deeper. And going that that's maybe just a small part of who this guy is. A very small part. Yeah. And yeah, you're you're right. It's not what we're used to seeing with the hero's journey. Uh, at least at least not in like modern times with you know movies and stuff. Like think about, you know, the uh what are the uh the scenes where there's music playing and what are they called? Scene the music montages. Playing, like, tra- the montages where they're training and getting stronger and better. It's never like Somebody like reading books and like, you know, like <laughs> focusing their brain. Yeah, it's like well, sweating it's less exciting. It's like yeah. focusing until his nose bleeds. I bet somebody did do that at least for comedy at some point in some <laughs> film, but not what we're used to seeing. Right? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the connection with with Abenthe happens quickly, very quickly. Abenthe realizes. Uh, well, Rothus writes, it becomes tiresome being spoken to as a child, to as if you were a child, even if you happen to be one. Mm-hmm. He knows, both knew, even at this age, that people always talk to him like he couldn't understand what he was capable of understanding. He's used to being treated like he's this dumb kid when he's actually full, very capable of understanding more. But Abenthi comes to that very quickly and starts treating him like an older person, right? Yeah, it's uh, it's something he notes very early in this chapter, and something that I think was important for him being able to move quickly through a lot of this material. Right. Yeah, that's a very empowering feeling for Quoth. Yeah, and 
honestly, it just makes it easier for a Benthi too. Um, yes. I liked that. It said, what, isn't it after the second day he was already riding in his cart with him? Yeah. So, second day. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to be more like a Benthi. He spoke gently, laughed often, and never exercised his wit at the expense of others. Yeah. Hmm. It seems like he probably had a bit of a lonely life, maybe. I don't yeah. know, like if he usually traveled with a troop and they just kind of caught him on a, a weird week where he wasn't with other people. But um, <laughs> other than that, it seems like a pretty good life, right? I mean, I, I think if he stayed with the Rue, that would be what a life. It did. You know? Yeah. Attend to the community, sell your stuff, do your thing. Make the face paints that don't make you die at 25 or go That's nuts. That's right. I mentioned in the previous chapter that, uh, you know, the Matrix Superman kind of thing bothers me sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I was reading this stuff about Nax, and I wondered if maybe he has like some sort of brain knack, right? Where hmm. almost like a photographic memory, but not just remembering, but also like understanding, like an ability to just soak these things in and, and get them. It's like almost like a, like a knack superpower. Almost. You mean quoth? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, maybe I'm just using it to Probably. justify reasons that I can still like him being so <laughs> overpowered. Yeah, I mean, the stuff that he's doing seems beyond reason, even for someone with a trained brain. Yeah, people with knacks drive me insane. <laughs> so jealous. It would be. It would be pretty frustrating to watch somebody's <laughs> garden grow 10 times bigger than yours when you're doing like the same thing in the yard next door. Correct. 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 It'd be very frustrating. Yeah. I'm just looking through some of my notes here. And yeah, I think ancient Greece was a part of this world. <laughs> uh, I think it's quoth calls Abenthi a sophist, or maybe it's the other way around. A sophist. Yeah. 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 Or is it sophist? Maybe it's sophist. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, uh, he. I think it's in. Uh, it's in the next chapter or the one after that. But yes, he does do that. There you go. Official. Greece is part of part of the map that we can't read. Alpha, beta, all of it, all of it. Hmm. Okay. Um. I I don't have much more. Nope. I don't either. It's a pretty short chapter. We can move on. Yep. Let's. We got another shorty. Yep. Alar, Alar, and the several stones, and several stones. Ben picks up a rock and asks Quoth what will happen if he drops the rock or lets it go. Quoth replies with the obvious, if not with a little sass mixed in, that the rock will fall. But Ben asks him to believe. Believe that the rock will float away. Believe it, he urges with all the faith in your heart. He compares it to other beliefs Quoth has. He sort of believes in God. He believes in his parents, even if he can't always see them to ensure that they're still there with him, but then produces a small whip, a riding crop. Quoth believes in that and what it can do to him every time. That is Alar, Ben explains, riding crop belief. Believe in the stone floating away like you believe in that. It is the cornerstone of sympathy, he continues. 
If you are going to impose your will on the world, you must have control over what you believe. Gavolt tries hard, so hard his head hurt. But when the rock is dropped, it falls again and again and again until finally he feels like he succeeded. He convinced himself, despite past failures, that the rock wouldn't fall. So then Ben ups the game. He wants him to believe that the rock will both fall and will not fall at the same time. This is where things get weird. As Kvothe progresses to the point that he can hold two disparate beliefs at once in his head, as if he was singing harmony with himself. And not just two, but then three, and then more. His new favorite game, for Pete's sake, is called Seek the Stone, where one part of his mind hides an imaginary stone in an imaginary room, and another part of his mind has to try and find it. One, at one instance, one part of his mind tricked the other at one point, making it believe it had hit a stone when it really hadn't hidden the stone at all. At another time, the hider actually made fun of the seeker when it asked for a hint. It's mental. No wonder Quoth thinks that Arcanist can be considered mm, eccentric. Indeed, sympathy is not for the weak of mind. And neither is this freaking two-page chapter. No, it's hard. <laughs> it's a hard one for me. Things are things are what they are to me, right? Believing a rock can float away is ludicrous. Mm -hmm. uh, but but even more ludicrous than believing that is believing both things at once. How? What do you mean? Belief is about belie believing. Like if I if I believe it, then I have to think it all the way through, right? That's what belief is. Well, no. With the ALR, that's the whole point. You can segment your mind into separate compartments that believe different things. Crazy. And it's, uh, it's really hard to get your mind around. Uh, I mean, Schrodinger's rock, right? Like, it can both float and fall. And you have to believe both simultaneously. It's very crazy. small rocks. I, very small rocks. <laughs> Bread. A duck. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, this this is hard. I, it's a it's a key part of the the magical system for this world, and so not not getting it is frustrating, right? Like not really getting it, right? But also, I don't know if we're meant to. I don't I, I don't know that anyone's supposed yeah. to like read this chapter and be like, let me try that. Let's see if I can do it. I'm not, mm -hmm. I'm not sure that's the intent. Um, but it is frustrating to be like, I can't do that. How does he, how can he do that? Right. Yeah. And I bet the first time I read this book, which I've only read it once and it was quite a while ago, uh, I was like reading this and was like, no, this is way too hard. I'll figure this out later. And you later, just keep reading. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah. so it, it helped a little to know that I was going to be talking about it on a podcast that literally dozens of people listen to dozens um dozens and so i took some more time to try and understand it but mm. i think you're right i don't know that we're meant to completely understand it just be open yeah. to it plant the seed i think we can understand conceptually the concept of it yes. and not be able to do it or really yeah right really get it
And what's interesting with Ben is he's so science oriented, right? Yes. It talks about how much he loves it. He teaches both all about it, especially chemistry. Science is very evidence-based, right? Do you believe it will float? Well, it didn't float. Well, that doesn't matter, Ben says. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter that it didn't float in the past. Mm-hmm. That's like the opposite of scientific thinking, yes. right? Yeah. Scientific yep. thinking is I've dropped the rock nine times or I've let go of the rock nine times and it's fallen all nine times. So on the 10th time, it's probably going to fall. Yes. Right? It doesn't matter, says this scientist. And that's what's really cool yeah. about all of this and Ben and his learning and what he knows is uh, Ben loves science, but he's also an expert at this. And which sympathy, Alar, all of that throws scientific learning completely out the window. Pretty much. Yeah. It's like it's it's scientific principles with some of the rules broken. Sure. Right? It kind of like it still feels it still feels like there are rules that are followed, but they're different rules and we have to get right. used to them. Which is and, kind of in the same lane as science because science is science until it's not. Right, yeah. like it, it's always growing. It's always it's, leaving the door yeah. open to for yeah. something to be disproven and something new right. to be learned. But yeah. this is like egregious yeah. breaking of the rules. <laughs> yeah, and and you know, back to your rock example, faith base. It that's right, kind of yeah. And and to that point, you know, it's not that you're supposed to believe that the rock that the rock will float away after you saw it fall nine times. It's that this part of your brain. We'll believe that it will fall after nine times, but this part can't. This part still believes it's going to float away, right? And you have to maintain both, both opinions by separating your brain completely. And I think, you know, the, the finding the stone game really, I think do, it does the best job of putting it in terms that we can maybe relate to. Think yeah. about, really think about trying to right. make part of your brain forget something that the other part of your brain knows. Right. It's freaking yeah. impossible. The only way you could do that literally would be literally uh mentally would be if you could break it in two so that they can't talk to each other. So mm-hmm. they don't they don't know what each other knows. That's the that's the easiest way to look at it, in my opinion. Right. But, and it's still it's still hurtful to try to think through, but it adds some humor to it. And I think it's a good thing to come back to as you're trying to remember how this ALAR concept works. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's a nice touchstone. Agreed. Yeah. And we haven't mentioned Heart of Stone yet, but it's it's an important thing in the series. And um, Heart of Stone is something where you can kind of seep down into yourself so much that you control your emotions. uh, Right. Um, To be able to think clearly. Man, I wish I could could do Heart of Stone. Not let anything get to you or bother you emotionally. Emotionally, yeah. Pretty cool. Right. Yeah. Do you have much more for this section here? No. It's, thank goodness. Yeah. I wrote down yeah. the idea that belief is a choice. That's an interesting concept. Mm-hmm. True, though. Yeah. Man, this sympathy stuff is crazy. <laughs> I used to think it was wild that my brother used to be able to watch TV and read a book at the same time. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I, I I did write a note down about that. Like, sometimes... You ever get the sense like your your brain will like solve a problem that you didn't actually really even think you were working on? You know, like you were doing this other thing, like your job or 
dealing with your kids or doing some other thing you thought completely, but actually your brain was also solving this other moral dilemma you had, or this, mm. you know, this mm-hmm. machine that's not working and your brain's actually like doing these things in the background. And you don't even realize that it's kind of, maybe it's only in spare moments and that's the difference here, but maybe it is kind of doing it at the same time, but it just, it feels almost like that. Except mm, that for both, it's more purposeful and directed. Yeah, yeah. The harmony, the harmony thing is a good example of that part. It's like, no, it's not that I don't realize my brain's doing it, and it surprises me with an answer at the end. I know exactly what all the nine different ALAR breakings of my brain are doing, and I'm directing them. Yeah, exactly. But other than that, it's kind of the same idea. It's like your brain is doing more than you think. It's just, in this case, you're directing it. Oh, man, that's crazy. Yeah. This part of my brain is singing a D note. This part of my brain is singing a G note. And I can't hit either one, uh, you know, but yeah, you could probably hit both. <laughs> the binding of iron. Let's do it. Ben has decided to use a day where the wagon stopped for weather to teach both about sympathy. That's the first understanding we get really into Rothfuss's magic system and for me, a true treat of the chapter. This lesson of sympathy starts with a true understanding of iron drabs, their based form of currency, what they are, how they came to be, and what their properties are. After giving a brief history of drabs and how their value is measured, Ben breaks in, asking if these two specific drabs he's holding up could have once been cut from the same iron bar. There's still something that ties them together, if that's the case. They are connected, maybe even connected enough that moving one should move the other but only if you convince them that they are the same. But some things are harder to convince than others. The law of sympathy states that the more similar two objects are, the greater the sympathetic link. The greater the link, the more easily they influence each other. He proceeds to bind the two drabs together with sympathy, muttering a few words and using some pitch as a visual aid. And then soon enough, the drab on the table dances around while he's moving this one around in the air, right? And it all comes back to the ALAR. You need to believe in your head that these two objects are connected to know that they're connected and to teach them that they're connected. And Quoth goes on to spend the day linking different things via sympathy and then does his best to explain it to us. Matter cannot be created or destroyed. When you lift the one drab, it is as heavy as lifting two because you are in fact lifting two. However, because there is energy lost in the binding, sympathy takes energy to do, it is more like you were lifting three drabs. The more different the items are, the more energy it takes to move them together. There is mud. You'll get used yeah. to it. <laughs> As Quoth mastered each law binding of sympathy, Ben would give him more and more of them until Quoth had hundreds of sympathetic bindings memorized and ready to be used as needed. Suffice to say, the next year with Ben, learning things from him was one of the greatest, happiest times in Quoth's life. Then the chapter takes a short but important turn to Quoth singing a song that his mother disapproves of. I won't sing it, but I'll read it here. Oh, come tune. on. You know what? I don't know the tune, Matt, but I did think a really fun project for you to do would be to put, because I feel like the fandom hasn't done the music yeah, for the King, the King Killer Chronicle like, like the Song of Ice and Fire fandom has already done. I feel like you could really carve a lane out here to write the music for these songs. This could be my big break. Because I'm sure it's easy to do. It's just as easy as me suggesting it, you doing it. I'm sure it's simple. 
Easy as sympathy, baby. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Seven things has Lady Rackless. Keeps them underneath her black dress. One a ring that's not for wearing. One a sharp word not for swearing. Right beside her husband's candle, there's a door without a handle. In a box, no litter locks. Lackless keeps her husband's rocks. There's a secret she's been keeping. She's been dreaming and not sleeping. On a road that's not for traveling, Lackless likes her riddle raveling. Simple little tune that Kvothe had heard a girl chanting while playing hop skip in a village a while ago. It's not a nice thing to be singing, his mother chides him and asks if he knows what it's about. He hadn't really thought about it, but now he sees clearly that there's sexual innuendo in there, and he apologizes. Oh, Orion I see then goes, it now. Orion then goes on to give Quoth a lesson about gossip. Singing songs about real people behind their back is gossip. Quoth is sorry, and it's forgiven quickly. I imagine you could make it up to both Lady Lackless and myself if you found some sweet nettle for the plot tonight. And the chapter ends. Cool, Mom. Teaches lessons, so, move on. Yeah, That's right. This is part of what being a fantasy author is to me. Coming up with the history of money in the world for a simple story that you have to tell to teach your magic system. You gotta it's not do it. that money exists, but he has the story together for how it came to be. And much like George, it's a lot of details in your mind to kind of keep together over time. And I wonder if Kind of like I feel like with George, if the weight of not breaking something he's already committed to in this story is making it harder for him Slowing to slow him through. down. I'm right. sure it's not the iron drop money system doing it, but as an example. And then moving straight into my next point, uh, I'd really like to be able to identify the Shalda Mountains where all of this currency originated, but no sock and sus mapas, uh, no sock and sus mapas because it sucks and doesn't tell you anything. It's yeah. just as easy for me to describe you to you that it's in the not upper northwest corner and it's got mountains on like all sides in the Kaldish region up there. Sock in that map and throw it in the trash. Yeah, sock it to that map. <laughs> Sorry, Pat, if you're listening. But we need a better map. Come on, buddy. I mean, I'm, it's got to be intentional, right? Talk to George's guys. Yeah, it probably is. He doesn't want us to know these things or something. You're too much away. Anyway, it's frustrating. It is a little bit. But before the next episode, I am going to try to go find online resources if people have put more time into it than, than I have. I'm it's sure that there's people that have read like it's three days from here. Yeah. Right. And they've been able to triangulate things. Like the Aswaf timeline that I rely on so frequently. Correct. Correct. Thank you. If you are one of those people... Thank you for your work. Is it the Aswaf timeline or the or one for the series? Yeah, just the people that do the hard work so the rest of us benefit from. Thank you. Yeah, so we can do the easy work of hanging out together and talking. Exactly. <laughs> you enable our hanging. Now we'd hang even if we didn't. But <laughs> I'd like to think so anyways. Well, hmm. I think the fact that we do this makes it easy not to hang because we know we got this. Sure, because we have this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, man, this the law of sympathy was easier to wrap my head around mm. for the most part. Why do you think? Very well explained. I don't know. I don't know. But it makes sense to me. 
if you believe it kind of they come the from the same first. place, yeah, it builds upon what we've learned. Yeah, yeah the belief portion of it. Mm-hmm. The idea of connecting something in your brain mm-hmm. and then physically that manifesting itself in the two pieces actually moving together. But the, I guess the energy expenditure still hangs me up a little bit. Like the whole idea yeah. of I can see why moving one would feel one piece and the other piece moving along with it would make it feel like you were moving two pieces. But the energy yeah. expenditure was a little more difficult to wrap my head around. And we'll probably get more into that as we read the book. But the, the way I think about it is like, um, he used the word like you, or the phrase you have to convince them. I, I don't, I don't really understand it really well either, but I think of it like it's the energy it takes to convince them. They're the same. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's why that's what adds to the extra weight. Right. He talks about it like an aqueduct where if it's like an efficient, efficient system, more of the water gets through, whereas if it's inefficient, more water leaks. And so you've got to apply more water. You got to keep dumping water. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Right. But yeah, and, yeah. and there are the words too. The word that he doesn't give a lot of attention to the words, but they're always muttering some. Like he taught he taught them the bindings, he calls them. So there is a magic word in there too that actually like does the thing to make it move along or to make yeah, it, it triggers burn it. Yeah. or to make it to, to do whatever the, 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 the binding suggests it should do because they're the same. Oh boy. So it's yeah, it's splitting the mind and keeping them separate, it's convincing them. And it's using the binding to determine the action, I think. Yeah. Oh, boy. It's cool, though. It's like, way cool. One, one of the things that, that happens in this chapter is when he figures out how to do it, and he, do, he does again very quickly, is he's like, man, that was kind of underwhelming. You know, he's like, he's not blown away. I would be like, this is amazing. <laughs> he's like, doesn't even thought- feel like magic. I thought I would like, yeah, I thought it would feel good, man. Yeah, I thought he was going to get like a jolt to his system or right. you know, feel like the world shift underneath his feet or something. No, it was just I very much amazing. just moved. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But it does, it does mean, I mean, it does, we've talked a lot about like kind of how this relates scientifically, right? And the properties and, you know, matter can't be created or destroyed and the loss of energy through systems and things like that. This feels like the science, the science magic, right? Of of this world. That's and a good way looking, to describe it. The fact that it has laws. For, right. And he's mm-hmm. looking for the true magic. Yeah. Just give me the word without all this other crap that's right. gonna like, you know, do fire or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's the but button? It still I feels like push? Magic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the easy button. Do the mm-hmm. easy button. Yeah. Right. But at the same time, when he is asked to put some work into it, he does, right? Yes. Yeah. And it becomes, yeah, I mean, very adept, apparently. Right. Learns over 100 bindings. And I didn't do very well in the summer. He doesn't learn those 100 bindings that afternoon. He learns them over over months, right? For sure. So it's a very interesting thing. And I think it, you know, different things, different aspects of this way of thinking resonate with different people, you know, like the faith thing resonates really well with me and maybe for others just these scientific laws that you have to live by so there's lots of little things that he throws in there where even if we're still wrapping our head around the whole concept there are things that kind of ring true and keep you interested and invested it's 
incredibly yeah. well written. Yeah, I agree. And I think there's, you know, yeah, some people will relate to to parts of the story and less to others. You know, I would say, you know, not as a spoiler, but just as a keep with it, kiddo, kind of encouragement if you're reading along with us. These systems are important, but again, you don't need to like, you don't need to embrace them and understand them at a molecular level to appreciate what's happening in the book. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, when he says, I used sympathy to do this thing, you can just kind of, you know what it means. You know, he's convincing these things are the same and then causing an effect, right? You don't need to think about all the sciencey relational stuff. If you're into it, dive into it. I think it's really cool, right? Right. But yeah. Depends what you're into. Just treat it like the force. <laughs> just using his mind to move stuff. That's just. Right. <laughs> George Lucas would have come up with this kind of detail about how the force works. <laughs> That's not how the force works. Yeah, we'll do it. We'll just do it. We'll use the force. We'll use the force. That is one of the better lines of that movie. It is. I want to watch The Force Awakens again. That's a pretty good show. I like that. I really like I've I've never backed down. I really think The Force Awakens is is a fun, good film. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, it's so it's you know. So a little bit of a of a, a remake in some ways, but it's still totally. good. It's still fun. They do a totally. good job with the characters. Absolutely. Introduce three great new characters. Right? And then they proceed to run all three of them into the ground. Or four. Four. I guess. I forgot. To... We've got Ray, Kylo. Ray, Finn. Kylo, Finn. Those and are really the big three. And Han Solo part two. What's his name? Oh, Poe. Oh, the guy they're yeah. really running to the ground. Yeah. Yeah, Finn too. They they really yeah. Finn is the one who I feel got assassinated the most. Finn in the third film. No, no, you're right. Both in the second film. Let's move on. Yeah. Finn and Poe both, I feel like, got the shaft in the second film. But I know a lot of people like that film. Not my favorite. Right. Let's move on. Well, moving on means going to uh, Debbie after dark. Oh well, we 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 should talk about the poem a little bit. Okay, and I think I think we'll probably talk about it more in Debbie after dark. But, um, you know, I, I think maybe the the things to note are that uh, we get you know in this chapter where he's learning about sympathy and science, we get this little family note as well, uh, which mm-hmm. I think Pat's always good at kind of reminding us of the different kinds of things happening. Um, and in this case, it's an interaction with his mother. We had in the previous chapter, we had a lot of interaction with his father. His father's teaching him lessons. Here's his mom coming in and, and teaching him a, a lesson about gossip. And, you know, that's not a very nice song. And are you thinking about the things you're singing? Yeah. Thinking about the moral compass. Be, be purposeful in what you're doing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just a, a, a nice little moment. She, you know, you can tell she loves him. She's very quick to forgive him. She doesn't want to be hard on him, but this is an important lesson that she wants him to learn, right? Right. Uh, the s- seven things um, under the dress. I don't, I don't really, there's a ring, a sharp word, sharp word, a husband's candle. Is the door without a handle one of the seven things under the dress? Under her dress? What? Well, well under her dress might be a metaphor or something. Her husband's rocks maybe count as two. And then a secret. 
in a box. A secret, a secret in a in a box. Box. So keep some underneath her black dress. One a ring, one a sharp word, one a candle, one the door. Two rocks make six, and then a secret is seven. That's how I count. Seven things under her, her black dress. Which of those things, Matt, is the most sexually suggestive to you? Oh, the most sexually suggestive? You can go least if you want to keep this not saucy. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> box jumps out at me. <laughs> box uh. is sitting right there. It's the right there. The husband's the husband's villain, candle. Right there. Yeah, the, the husband's, husband's candle, candle uh, and the husband's rocks. Yeah, yes, the husband's rocks. Those are those are three of my favorites. In a box, no lid or locks. Yep. More to it. We'll we'll get to it. I think in uh, in Devi After Dark. Uh, anything else you want to cover in this chapter before we do that? Nope. Let's do it. Yeah. We actually do have the recording now of Devi After Dark. Oh, great. We don't have to do the thing. Nope. Julie, do the thing. Don't do the thing. <laughs> so, uh, are you probably know the drill by now. We are now proceeding into a spoilery portion of our podcast where we are going to talk about things openly that occur in the later chapters and books of this series. So if you need to, jump off. It's okay. It's no big deal. We'll, we'll catch you later. And right. uh, please do join us for our next episode coming up in a, in a few weeks or in a month or whenever. That's right. Uh, yep. But if you want all the spoilers, hang on for a sec. It's going to be it's going to be a bumpy one. Debbie after dark. Well, okay. Maybe we just start with Bast real quick. You know, I've got a note in this this pulling back the curtain for the Calisar a little bit. Note says from me, who is Bast? Then a note from Scad completely scott you hadn't read my notes you have a bullet point that says fast is a demon <laughs> <laughs> so yeah to answer your question i do think that's where we should start <laughs> <laughs> to, to put it like jason leewood uh in the classic dogma he's a fucking demon demon man yep uh yeah so uh, I don't have a ton prepared for this. Um, the, 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 the cue that you get here that he's a demon in the chapters that we read is that he refuses to use uh, he refuses to use the the, the uh, sewing kit, right? He wants to oh, use yeah. his sewing kit of bone. Oh, right, yeah. He doesn't uh -huh. want to use the iron hooks. Right, and yeah. And demons, as we know from that first from the scrail. chapter, demons do not like demons do not like uh, iron. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know we we get more we get more from Bast in even just a couple chapters that tell us there's more to him than I mean I don't know if they I, I absolutely spell it out that he's a demon but you know he's something. Um, in fact, I'm not even I guess certain he's a demon. He's at least a fae. He's fae, yeah, because he's usually like a, I forget what they call it in 
a glamour in this world, but it's basically a glamour. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you're right. Maybe not a demon. Maybe he's a fae. Um, I think he's a demon. I think it's fun to think of him as a demon, but I'm not opposed to the idea. Right. Because it's a, it's a lay now, now, now you got me second guessing myself. Maybe he's not a demon, but I think he is. I, I'm not trying to get you to second guess yourself at all. I don't have any more though. I don't have any more to give you. There are, there are Fae in this series. Um, I, it both goes to the Fae realm in the second book um, and, and has a tremendous adventure uh, with the Fae uh, and a scary one with a very scary Fae. And, uh, and I feel I I don't have the evidence. I feel like I've read I've read the books, and I feel like I came to the conclusion that Bast was a demon. But we'll Let's let keep it go. That in mind. I'll, try, I'll try to prove it next time. Let's keep that in mind. Yeah, I yeah. think we should. We do find out all these interesting things about about him in the coming chapters. One is that he is, he's the one that dropped the hints that Scarpy yes. and the Chronicler picked up. Yes, to find. Both here, yes. where he is, yes, and he attacks. He attacks the chronicler during the story as well, mm-hmm. right? And threatens him later as well. But he attacks him, uh, and that's maybe where I think it's noted that he's a demon. But I'm not certain. Anyway, yeah, I we he's he's certainly got some interesting motives, right? Um, part of it could be fair or demon. Either way. Um, we know that Quoth ends up meeting with the Fey. I don't know how to pronounce it. It's the magic tree in the Fey realm in the second book. And Bast doesn't actually know that now. He figures he finds that out later from Quoth and he freaks out. Right. And so mm-hmm. we know that that's not the motivation for, for why he's, he's with Quoth. Because I thought, before we learned that, I had thought on my first read, I had thought, well, maybe he's with him because he's afraid of what that might mean. But he doesn't know it. He, he, he learns it when we do. Um, so why is he there? I don't know. There's all sorts of, there's all sorts of theories uh, out there about it. Um, you know, that, that Quoth, or that maybe the Quoth the is uh, what hidden the moon or pulled it down. Um, maybe Bast is somehow trapped with him a little bit, or wants to stay with him until that's resolved. Hmm. I don't know. I, we don't. I don't think we have. I don't think we have the answers for what Bast is and why he's there. What he is, maybe, but why he's there, I feel like it's one of the many questions we do not have an answer to yet, and it's frustrating. Why do we pick these unfinished books? Yeah, because they're good. Because they're just freaking good, you guys. I might never read a finished series again. I don't know. Why would you even want to? (laughs) Buy Star Wars New Jedi Order series. Oh, yeah. It's finished. 19 books. Do you want to talk Scarpy? I do. He's, He's... He doesn't play a huge role yet, right? Yeah, so he he Scarpy shows up in Tarbine when Quoth is 
at one of his lowest points. Right. One of his lowest points and tells a story that kind of rejuvenates him and gets him thinking like re- remembering things that he had tried to tuck away, right? In his in his memory about his family. And um you know, everything we read early on is that Scarpy is wanting to kind of help Quoth, maybe sees him as special and wants to help him, right? But Quoth's opinion of him, a rumor monger, you know, does not sound like he holds him in high esteem anymore. It's again one of those things, I don't have an answer for that yet. We don't know what why he hates Scarpy now. Right. Right. And again, it's part of that, same with George. It's part of that, like, there are so many threads here that I don't feel he can resolve in day three. I have a note somewhere like, what if book three turns into book four? Because he's already got written in there. I mean, I guess authors can change whatever they want. But he's already got written in there. The Chronicle only needs to stay there for three days. Well, if he goes to a fourth day to tell the story, to wrap up all these things, it's going to be an interesting retelling. Um, you know, remember how I said three days? <laughs> yeah, it's going to be it's going to be four. It's going to be four. Uh yeah, it's um, we don't know what he did, but he certainly did something. It's also interesting that he's he's friends with with Chronicler. Chronicler is an interesting case. We know he's at the Arcanum, right? That he went there. That he he's yep. he's got some Arc- Arcanist training. Um, when was he there? He wasn't there when both was there. At least, yeah. Quoth, so maybe he comes and goes. They never crossed paths. Yeah. Is is yeah. the Arcanum something that you can? stop by yeah and one of the theories they have about about chronicler and maybe scarpy too is that um what's the term a, a giller i think is what they call them um they're people that master lauren the archivist person in charge of the giant library has people that run around the world collecting books right books collecting yeah. books it's like well chronicler is maybe not a collector of books but he certainly writes them like maybe mm-hmm. he's become a giller of sorts where he goes and collects stories in a different way, right? And writes them. So maybe he's kind of working with Lauren and expected to come back with stories that he finds on the road. Yeah, that's interesting. Like that. Or he's on... And maybe Scarpy's similar. Right. Yeah. I do kind of picture a chronicler as maybe like a Marwin the Mage in A Song of Ice and Fire. Mm-hmm. Like you said, kind of comes and goes. Yeah. Um, right. But whether those are on quests of his own search for knowledge or right. on f- for a specific purpose. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Chronicler's old. I don't remember what our description of, of him was and how old he is, but he's he wrote the book that both reads in university in his first year. So, like, he's an established presence at the university already. People right. know who he is. He's not there when Quoth is there, but he's an established guy. So, yeah, it feels like he must be just kind of coming and going and going out and doing research. You had, the, you had those professors in college, right, that like, yeah, they were professors. What they really wanted to be doing was like going to Indiana Jonesing. Right. The, well, yeah. Or, yeah, I had a guy who his, his area of expertise was Bali. He was an expert on Bali culture. He'd actually written oh. the book that we used in the class about the the Balinese culture and he what he really wanted to do was you know teach long enough to save money for his next trip to Bali to do more research and publish more stuff that's what he was really interested in not teaching 
right? And maybe, you know, maybe that's kind of the thing with with Chronicler is like he wants to be out collecting stories, but he's got to return back every so often to, you know, fulfill his job or something. I had a professor like that too, that he would go to Egypt in the summer and yeah. do do research. Yeah, that's they, where he, they wanted to be. He'd get grants to go to burial sites and places like that. And then he in the winter he would come back and teach New Testament courses at BYU, you know? Right. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Indiana Jones it. Yep. I uh I fan casted Chronicler in my mind. It's Paul Giobotti. That's great. That's good. I like it. Yeah. I like it. I don't, you know, I don't know whether it makes me weak minded or what. I don't do that very often. I don't do it all the time. Sometimes I just have like a vague, vague image of the yeah. character in my head. But right. That's what I have. I can picture him like I can picture Paul Giamatti sparring with like an 11 year old kid. And so I, yeah, he went for it. He went for (laughs) it. I I think I'm thinking more of like a, uh, uh, what's his name? David. uh, Nope. Got it. Dark hair, glasses. Hmm. What's he in? He's in uh, that uh, whitewater rafting movie with, uh, Oh my gosh, Matt, my brain. Ooh, the River Wild? The River Wild, yes. Oh, that guy. it's been a while. Yeah. David, it's David something. Anyway. David, oh yeah. yeah. Oh, he's all regal and stuff. Yeah. David Strathairn? Str- yeah, Strathairn. Strathairn? Yeah. yeah. Love that guy. He's in uh, Born Identity and stuff. Yes. In those movies. Yep. Yeah. yeah, he'd be cool. Yeah. Anyway. Fan casting for Chronicler Done. Maybe we should try to do these as we go. That would be fun. Pick a, pick a character, one a character an episode. You know. And then the, the people listening can tell us who they like. Better. Yeah. Who do you have fan cast as the Chronicler? Yeah. Good question. There we go. Tell us. Although I'm not going to say it on later. this episode. I'm going to say it on another episode of who I've got for Quoth. And it's going to disappoint a lot of people, probably <laughs> including you. <laughs> all right i'll listen for it uh what where do we want to go uh do you want to go to do you want to go to the lackless stuff and his mother sure yep okay i noticed that you gave their names i don't know if that's a huge spoiler yet probably doesn't matter oh they are nameless so far in the story are they really? Yeah, it hasn't uh, said their names yet. That's no big deal. I don't know. I that think it's they give significant. Them... <laughs> one thing people should know is I am reading ahead. I'm trying to get through the series one more time while we're covering. So I'm, I'm on page like I don't know, two hundred right now. Good man. Um, yeah. My reading to try to get ahead. So some of these things I think I maybe know and I shouldn't know. Uh, I'll try to avoid that. It's it's a fun dynamic because I'm just reading along at the pace. Yeah. And then I do research some things for Debbie after dark, but yeah. yeah. So the theory goes that Quoth's mother is, is a member of the lackless family. Um, We've been told that she was a noble and that uh, Quoth's dad stole her away from that uh, painful, terrible, boring life uh, and brought her into the room. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. The theory goes that uh, 
that she's so noble that she's a Lackless. And the Lacklesses are one of the greatest noblest noble families around. They're yeah. like they're like sixth in line for the Vintage Throne or something. The Vintage Throne is like one of the most powerful kingdoms, right? So they're high, high nobility. Her dad, if the rumor is true, is a Culeus Lackless. Um, and he is only behind, it says, uh, the royal family, the prince regents, Mayor Alvernon, uh, which is not Mayor, Mayor, it's Mayor, which is just a title. Mayor. Uh, Duchess Samista in terms of their rank. So why do they think that's true? Uh, we know um, we know Melowan Lackless, who Melowan shows up in book two. Um, we know that her sister ran off with the Edema Rue, right? Like we're told, we're flat out told that her sister ran off with the Edema Rue. We're also told that Kvothe finds Melowan's look extremely familiar, but can't place it. Mm-hmm. And he, but he knows mm-hmm. it's not from his time at the university or Imra, the, the city near the university. Yeah. So this is either like, the easiest mystery to crack or the biggest obvious misdirection we've ever seen, right? And we'll kind of feel like we've been we've been had a little bit, right? It feels it feels pretty obvious. There's also um later Quoth sings a song that um that his dad Arlidan wrote for her. Dark Lorian, Arlidan's wife, his has a face like the blade of a knife, has a voice like a prickled brown burr, but can tally a sum like a moneylender. My sweet Tally cannot cook, but she keeps a tidy ledger book. For all her faults, I do confess, it's worth my wife to make my wife not Tally a lot less. So there's some little, when you read it, you can see it more obviously, but he calls her my sweet Tally, which Mm -hmm. the name of the Fled sister is Natalia. Natalia. Mm -hmm. So Tally could be like a nickname. If she left sneakily, like, like departed with the Rue, her family could be upset by that, and it actually could be worth his life if the secret is found out that absolutely Lorraine is her, right? Yeah. And then the last, the last thing is kind of the biggest thing in this in this uh, poem or song. Not tally a lot less is pretty close to Natalia Lackless. Natalia, mm-hmm. not tally a lot less. Natalia Lackless. It's pretty close, right? So Dang. a lot of people point to that as evidence that that that's who that is. That one right. seems like so, one of the slam dunks. It feels like a slam dunk. Yeah. It feels, it feels like there like are different dunk. levels of of mysteries to suss out, right? Yes. Germ does the same thing. Of, right. Like to build our confidence up, he's going to yeah. lob us a few softballs. Yeah. She also, so uh, Lorian also says after the rhyme that, or the, the song that he sings in the chapter we just covered, she says, You could make it up to Lady Lackless and myself. If you go get some honey pot for the honey for the honey nettle for the pot or whatever, yeah. So not not the honey pot. Well, yeah, whatever. Yes, <laughs> or that too, maybe. Uh, you know, yeah. Maybe they're maybe they keep it open in the room. I don't know. Um, but yeah, kill two birds with one stone. Make it up to me and me, me and me, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, I, I think it's it's one of those things that feels feels like a slam dunk. I don't know what it means exactly. Right. Um, other yeah, it's, than it's the so what. Yeah. Well, there's there's some things. I mean, there's another poem about the lacklist that we get later, and we can go into that in another episode. It makes quoth, you know, an heir, or it in makes line, quoth an heir. Exactly. Exactly. And it and there, there's a line from one of those poems that says, uh, you know, one of the things that's missing from the lacklist box entrance is 
the blood of the sun or something like that. So right. that would put him in that rhyme, right? And <clears throat> I guess the only reason I really wanted to talk about this is that, um, and I haven't delved into this enough. I, I still need to spend some more time with it, but I think all this ties into the lackless box itself and how they can open it. The lackless box is much like Quoth's box that he has mm -hmm. in his room. It's lidless, no seams, no locks, um, but much smaller. It's like the size of a book, almost like a thick book. Um, and much like the, Ch the Chandrian songs, I feel like maybe these, these nursery rhyme songs are kind of like the keys to them, right? The, those songs aren't lies about the Chandrian. There's nuggets of truth in them. And there's nuggets of truth that might be the key to actually opening these boxes that the Lackless family, the Lackless family's had their box for thousands of years and they've not been able to open it. They're afraid of breaking it open. They don't know what they'll do to what's inside. They don't, you know, yeah, I think it's thousands of years, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, and we'll come back to this unravel, unravel it a little bit more. But, you know, while Lorian finds the poem offensive or gossip, I think there's more to it than that. And I think probably she knows there's more to it than that as well. But she doesn't know what, right? And I think... I feel like part of Quoth's big journey is going to be, I don't know exactly why, I have some ideas, we'll go into it more later, but I think it's going to be figuring out how to open that box. His own blacklist box, and I think the yeah. answers will be similar. The answers will be similar, yep. Yep. The files are in the computer. They're in the computer? We can leave the lackless stuff there, except that I do want to say there was uh, one one more line there from Lorian that uh, that is ironic and funny. Always think about what you're seeing, honey. And it's a pity she hasn't told her husband that, because her husband sings a song that literally gets them all murdered. Oof. In a few chapters. Oof. So... Uh, she should have told that to him. She's literally helping him compose a song that gets them all killed. Oof. Think about what you're saying. Good job, Rothfuss. Oof. Yeah. yeah. Well, do you want to end it talking about this woman at all? We can do that. This, what do you have? This, what do you think? What, what do you got? What woman. Did, what did this woman do? Scad. Do you know who I the woman have, is? No. Absolutely I mean, I not. I assume it's Denna. Well, the woman that he meets on his way to university and becomes like, you know, the focal point of his love life. Of his we life. Don't know, yep. We don't know that for sure, but he spends the next two books desperately in love with her and trying not to embarrass himself in front of her and chases her halfway across the world. Um, you know, so I assume it's her, but it could not be. Right. Is there a reason he wants to protect her? Or well, he does a bunch of things between now and the end of book two to protect her. So yes, I think he he always wants to protect her. I think, mm -hmm. you know, he he talks in this in these chapters here, he says how carefully the lessons his parents were teaching him about love and what it means and how to speak it and how to prove it and how to show it. I think, you know, that's one of the ways, right? And so yes, I think he definitely would want to protect her from any threat she's under. The bigger question is what she did, right? 
right and, and to 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 wreck things or to to cause a problem right that she and then chroniclers cut off right but people would be yeah that people would be talking about her or inquiring after her or what did she yeah. do yeah mm-hmm. there's some theories about that too um maybe we wait until we meet her to get into some of those but cool um, with me but yeah the, it's it's for sure interesting like what like she has a hold over him that is almost complete she's got and it's what you know one of those one of those weaknesses that we talk about him having strength in some way but it's it's a weakness too like he's he's gone he's he's invested in her right and um i can't i think he can't see some of the things he's doing for her sake and it gets in the way sometimes yeah and she could use that she could use that against him she sees how talented he is what he's capable of and she could potentially use that for her own motivations which again i don't know them i have some ideas and we'll go let's go into that when we meet denna all right, Denna. You're on deck, sis. Yeah, and probably coming soon. Yeah, maybe two or three episodes from now. Yeah, definitely not the next one, but no. Coming up here. Yeah. The next one. Hmm. That's gonna, gonna hurt. That's gonna be Chandrian stuff. Yeah. Talk oh boy. Then. Yeah. Well, all right. You got anything else? Nope. I'm going to call this one quits. Let's call this one quits, dude. This right. was a good one. It was fun. It was good. It was good. Yeah. Shall we sign do have, off? Do you, yeah. Do you have a, do you have a sign off? I have a sign off that has absolutely nothing to do with anything we talked about on the episode. Okay. Great. But it was a great song lyric and I heard it for the first real time. It's probably a song I've listened to a bunch of other times, but the lyric just hit me this time. A uh, little bit about loving yourself. J. Cole, one of my favorite new hip-hop, well, new, he's been around for a while now, hip-hop artists, actually shares my exact birthday, Scad. J. Cole does. Really? January 20, 28th, 28th, 1985. Oh, the same, oh, the same year oh, and okay. everything. The exact right. day. Okay. He's got Grammy Hour, Awards. Minute, second. I have a podcast with You've my got buddy a million plus listens in your podcast the dozens of people listen to yeah so, a lot of times each because we're over a million listens right so we've got we're comparable <laughs> in terms of success <laughs> the same it's like maybe he's ahead by like a tiny bit yeah negligible well, negligible that's a good way to put it anyways he's got a beautiful song called crooked smile i recommend everybody listen to it and uh I, I would also recommend that you remember, and so this is Matt signing off and saying that you may not be picture perfect, but you're worth the picture still. Lovely sentiment. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and just pull from, from Rothfuss himself here. Uh, it's a quote you read in your in your summary, I believe. If you're going to impose your will on the world, you must have control over what you believe. Please, people, please control, yeah. control. You must learn control. You must learn control, says Yoda. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's all we got. Good reminder. Good reminder.
that's it. Thanks that's everybody all. for listening. Yeah. Check you next time. Fun. See ya. Bye. Thank you.